Hey America, this is Daryl with another episode of the Triumph Podcast, and I'm very excited today to interview an amazing couple. I first had the chance to hear our guests on a speak on a symposium that was on a Facebook Live on marriage and finance. This couple was married, they own and operate a successful financial planning business, and it was really inspiring to see a happy couple that continues to work on and grow their marriage as well as their business. Now, they each have unique backgrounds, uh, perspectives, and strengths that they brought to the marriage that has strengthened them on their journey to continually triumph. And John and, and Abby, I want to thank you guys for taking time to be with us on the episode today. No problem. All right. So, man, I've got so much I want to get into, and I'm really interested because of your guys' um, backgrounds and, and your business and what you do. And I think there's going to be a lot of things that our listeners listening to this could take away and put into practice right away, either if it's with their finances or with their relationships or just in, in anything that they're really trying to accomplish a goal and move towards. Um, but first of all, I kind of wanted to give our listeners a little bit of an insight um, to your backgrounds a little bit. Um, and I wanted to give each of you guys a chance to talk about this, but I think um, I want to talk about just uh, some, of the, some of the verbal programming, some of the, the ideas that you got about money and marriage. Well, for me, being born in Panama City, Panama, um, I was born and raised there till about I was eight years old. So it was a very impoverished um, type of way that I was raised. Um, I only had like one pair of shoes and I was to go to school. Um, rarely had any other clothes because it was uniform because that's what we wore. My mom worked three jobs. And back then it was like either paying 50 cents, 35 cents an hour. So she probably only had enough to put a roof over our head, but not enough for food on the table and clothes on our backs. So thank God we lived in a tropical, you know, kind of um, environment where we had to climb mango trees and eat mangoes for breakfast dinner. <laughs> I don't suggest that for everybody. <laughs> but for me, then transitioning to now coming to the, the land of opportunity, um, the United States, and I thought once we got here, oh, we made it, you know. Um, I didn't have to sleep with my brother, my mother, and my sister anymore in one bed. Now it was me and my sister sharing a room and sharing a bed. So, and then we had clothes and we had more than one pair of shoes. We had food every day. So to me, it was just more like we've made it. We, we, we've done it. Unbeknownst to me though, my father was, um, back then like an E3, E4 and an 80. And he was getting in so much debt, so much credit card debt. And even though he was showing us a good life, you know, like that middle class type of life, but it was through a lot of debt that when um, we got into teenage years, we saw the struggle. We saw the, the, the bankruptcy that they had to file. The, you know, um, I had to be in charge of my prom and my graduation and all of that stuff because they couldn't afford those things. So really my my programming was more of bankruptcy and credit card debt. That's how I thought, hey, to make it through and to make it by, this is what I need. So by the time I was 18 years old, I had over $18,000 in credit card debt. So through that experience, it wasn't like, hey, this is a, the, not a good way to do it. It was kind of like, this is the, a, a path. And so you kind of had fallen into a little bit of that same pattern. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. How about you, John? Well, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. 
I'm the oldest of nine children. Uh, so we grew up on the, really the south suburbs of Chicago, um, a little place called uh, Dixmore, Illinois. And then I was born in Harvey, Illinois. So Dixmore, Harvey, and Markham were right there next to each other. But then my one of my other grandmothers did live right in the inner city. Um, so me being the oldest, my mom and dad had me when they weren't even married yet. You know, my mom uh, got pregnant with me while she was in college and then had my little brother. And then, of course, a bunch of them came after that. Uh, so I do remember um, you, you asked about modeling. So there's things such as, you know, you hear certain things when you're coming up, you know, money don't grow on trees and you think I'm made of money or, you know, we can't afford that and stuff like that. And, and, and true enough, I mean, we were on food stamps, uh, you know, government assistance to a degree. You know, I, I joke about how we used to get government cheese and how good that cheese was and silly stuff like that. Um, but as a very young man, I started working. I started working when I was probably 11 years old. The good thing about my modeling to a degree was my, I had both of my parents, you know, which is which is totally weird growing up on the inner city of Chicago and the, on the south side, especially. Um, so I had both of my parents. Both of my parents stayed together for 30 plus years. And so that was the good part. But uh, I started working when I was 11 years old. And, you know, of course, those are not really legal jobs, but I babysat. I'm the oldest, so I, I babysat children in the neighborhood. Uh, there was a guy that lived near us who owned a um, landscaping business. So I would go cut grass with him. And then I got a job at, you know, when at 16 uh, at Safeway bagging groceries and, and kind of moved up and did those types of things. So the modeling I saw was uh, life was going to be a struggle. Life was going to be, um, this is just how it is. You know, you, you, you do what's the best you can. And I, I believe my parents are, are heroes to me. They're, they're still heroes to me. I, I don't know how you raise nine children on one income. I just, I, I don't get it. I mean, we got a 15 year old upstairs right now and I'm like, well, how did they do nine? <laughs> all of us got a car. If I recall correctly, they weren't the nicest cars, but all of us got a car. Um, mine was an Oldsmobile 77 Cutlass. Uh, all of us, you know, we didn't all go to, we didn't all go to college and, and have our parents pay for it. It was mostly scholarships and, and stuff like that or student loans. But those were some of the modelings that we saw. Can you talk a little bit about how you transitioned into into the Navy life and kind of what that experience was like a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so at this time, this is going to sound funny. Uh, when we the week the week I turned sixteen, we moved to North Platte, Nebraska. So uh, <laughs> needless to say, that was a culture shock to a degree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From city to North Platte, but I finished high school there, and um, instead of me going off to college or you know trying to play basketball for some college, I decided to join the United States Navy. Um, not that I had in mind the Navy, the Navy recruiter was the only one not at lunch the day I showed up there. Uh, and of course he talked to me and made it sound so good. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I kind of felt I needed to leave my parents home and, and kind of spread my wings. So college, since I didn't know what I wanted to do, college didn't, didn't ring to me. Um, but I knew I wanted to get out there. I thought I wanted to be in law enforcement or something like that. So I saw the Navy or the military as a way for me to learn, get some experience, also get paid for it, and um, and travel. You know, get get out of North Platte, Nebraska, for goodness sake. Um, so I ended up loving the Navy. I had a ball. I went in on a two-year program during the Desert Storm, Desert Shield conflict, and um, I ended up having a ball, man. I, I can't – I don't have anything bad to say about the Navy except 
I had a failed marriage from my first marriage failed because of my military time. Um, probably my military time, probably just because of me. But <laughs> but we're gonna blame it on the military during yeah. this podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I got to do a lot of cool stuff. I jumped out of perfectly good airplanes. I was a search and rescue swimmer. So I got to have a lot of fun and I was a naval accountant in the Navy. So that's what I did for the Navy. Okay. I was gonna ask how the Navy maybe helped kind of groom you or prepare you for your career. Is that kind of what got you into the financial uh, world? Not really. Um, <laughs> I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. So even in, the, in, the, in my early 20s, I think I was 23, I started an auto detailing company. And so I've always, even while I was active duty, I was always doing something else. Um, what the Navy did for me was gave me some discipline. What the Navy gave to me was uh, seeing a different level of leadership. You know, my dad was a great leader as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it's different when it's not your dad. You know, it's different when you actually find, you know, and it wasn't until my second ship that I actually met a leader, like a real leader. Um, his name's Donald Jetton. And he was he was one of my chiefs. And, you know, of course, that was 1993 when I met him. And I'm still talking about it. So, yeah, he, he, had, he had a huge impact on me. And Yabby, when you were growing up in Panama, um, at the time, did you did you feel like we don't have like, you know, we don't have a lot of things, or was that just kind of like your everyday normal, and you just kind of like, hey, this was just life, and you're happy, and yeah, you know, it's so it's so funny, yeah, it's like when you're born and raised into that, you think like you're you're the norm. It was funny when I first met my dad. I mean, really, he's my stepdad, but I, that, to me, that's my daddy, you know. Mom are still married, um, and he's the reason why we're here in the United States. But when we were in Panama, we first met him. He called us and he said, "Hey, I would love to bring something, a gift to you guys." So he, he, you know, it's three of us. So my brother went, my sister went, and they said what they wanted. And then he asked me, he said, "So what would you want?" And I said, mm, "I want shampoo." <laughs> <laughs> I was six years old. <laughs> oh man, oh that's funny. Like, you want what? I said, I want shampoo because we didn't know what that was like. Yeah. I never knew what peanut butter and jelly was or any of that stuff. A Snickers bar? What is that? That was for the rich over there in Panama. <laughs> so then you come to the United States and when you graduated high school, what did you do after high school? What was kind of like your career path in getting into, into the business world? Um, well, for me, I graduated early. I wanted to get out of school. I was just like, I'm done with it. <laughs> you know, at 17 years, graduated early. And I took a year off, which I don't recommend to anyone if they want to pursue, you know, <laughs> to continue to school. <laughs> because then I tried going back to college and failed three times. I said, oh, this is not for me. Give me back my money. <laughs> and then I took off on it. And then I did wanted to pursue the Air Force. I went through the, you know, I was studying for the test and everything, but didn't do that because then I met my amazing husband at 19 and we got married at 20. Yeah. Well, well she was 20 and I was 29 that day. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So then from there, it was just for me, it was now I want to be a wife and I want to be a mother. Yeah. Um, then I really didn't have too much of an aspiration per se. Like I did always wanted to be in the medical field, but for me, it's like my, my, it, there was a shift. 
that was a shift for me. And, yeah. and that shift, just being the wife that God called me to be and being a mother that God called me to be. Now, how long have you guys been in business together? Uh, as long as we've been married, yeah. 19 yeah. years. Okay. Yeah. So what would you say have been some of the the shifts in your mindset maybe today versus back mm -hmm. when you guys first met or maybe maybe it even started even before that but can, are there any things that you look back and go wow it's funny i used to i used to think this way about money or i used to think this way about marriage but you know time and experience has, has shown me some different things man when we first got married even though we were Starting with the business, we still had really bad money problems, like bad money habits. We had a bad money blueprint. Yes, um, because remember, I came from bankruptcy and credit card debts and all of that stuff. And him building a business, but then I always had asked him, I said, so what happened to all the money that you made? He was like, I have no idea. <laughs> there was, you know, we didn't save, we didn't, it was just like, spare the moment. It's like, we're living in the now. Let's do everything now. Um, and truly we learned the hard way because then we started losing things. You know, we lost our first home to foreclosure. One of our cars got repossessed, bill collectors falling in our house. And that's when things started shifting. See, you don't change when, when things are going okay. You start changing when you kind of hit rock bottom, you know, and, and there's no way but to come up, you know? Um, and, and that's when we decided, you know what? No, we need to get our act together and we need to get disciplined. And um, really for three years, we went without eating out, no more TV, no more, none of that stuff. We cut everything out because how dare we have a cable bill that's $200 when we have all this debt, you know, when, when you know, our home was just foreclosed. Like, come on now, where's the priorities? Um, and it's temporary, you know. One of the things that is a big curse, curse word for individuals when it comes to money is discipline and sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you say those two words, you got to discipline yourself and you got to sacrifice. That's like cursing to them. Like, what? Like, you telling me I need to cut my cable off? Like, no, I work too hard for this. So it's just priorities. Yeah. I would was, I was say, um, if you don't mind, Daryl, I'd like to back up a little bit. Sure. Our first three years were... No. Let's just, let's just put it like this. Hell is where we where Yabby would have went on vacation <laughs> in that first three years. Um, yeah. I came from a I came from a previous marriage, so I was scarred. So this is a little about our marriage too. So thank God my wife was a you know a, a God fearing woman who knew how to pray and helped me get past all of my scars and hurts. And I, thank God I had I found a mentor who could help me get through all of those past hurts, there, all those types of things. But also what we didn't tell you, what we don't talk about it too much. You know, that year, the year I decided to leave the Navy, I didn't leave the Navy just for business. I left the Navy because it was the month after the September 11th attacks and the child that Yadi was pregnant with passed away. She had a stillbirth, uh, October 14th, 2001. And I wasn't supposed to be here. I was supposed to be somewhere. Well, I was supposed to be somewhere with a, a special forces unit. And um, I, I didn't like the idea that my 20 year old wife probably would have had to deal with that by herself. Yeah. So I just decided to end my naval career. And I was already working part time in the financial business. 
And she's right. We we disrespected money. Our money blueprint was wrong. Even though the outside was changing, our inside thermostat was not changing. And we had to we had to get pissed off to change. We had to, we had to lose some stuff. We had and I don't agree. I don't believe everybody has to get there before they'll change. But we're two knuckleheads. We're two, you know, problem children. Right. So we're, we're you know, and so we're a work in progress. So so God had to allow us to go through that so that we can and also so that we can be good at our business now so that we can coach other people through it. People look at us. We've actually had clients tell us this, that when they came into our office, they saw us. They came down to my office. They were in her office. They saw us. They, you know, we're normally in suits and we, you know, I guess we look good and stuff. And many of them have told us they they never thought we had been through anything. Mm. And then my wife will share a little bit. Now, as a man, I'm going to be honest, in the beginning, I didn't like her sharing what she was sharing. Um, <laughs> my ego got involved a little bit. Yeah. And it was like, man, why? You know, okay, share some stuff, but not that stuff, you know? And um, and then a mentor of mine, a uh, business mentor, I have, I have several. Uh, one of them, I remember him saying this to me. He said, John, people are impressed, impressed by your successes but they're impacted by your failures. Yeah. And that just rung to me that people are more impacted by my failures and then seeing where we've come from them. So I just wanted to share that maybe with your listeners that, um, you know, we've been through some stuff. We've lost two children. She's right. We've lost a home. We've lost um, a bunch of stuff and we don't see those things as happening to us. We think they happen for us, you know, so we, we just want to make sure that people, I believe everything we go through, we it, we went through it for somebody else so we can help somebody else get through that exact same thing or something similar over their course of life. But I think it really boils down to how you respond when those things happen. Yes. So for us, you know, um, yeah, my money blueprint was jacked up and I saw a lot of stuff, but that's, that's really, I, I just wanted to share that a little bit, if you didn't mind. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, because I think there's a lot of people who can relate or have fears of, of losing those things, and they're, um, yeah, I like what you said, how you'd be like, hey, where's all that money we made? And like, I don't know. I think a lot of people live in that kind of reality, right? And yeah. and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of narratives about money and how it works. Um just the fact, John, you stating that those things didn't happen to us, they happened for us. I mean, I think that in and of itself is a unique point of view. Like, how did you guys come to to look at things that way? Because a lot of people will say, oh, this is happening to me, and this sucks, and, I, you know, why me, and poor me, you know? And instead of going, wow, this is happening for me, how can I grow through this? I mean, did you always have that mindset? Was it a mentor who helped you <laughs> that? Was it? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, um, uh, we like to say it in a simple way. We say it's three things, right? The you today and you five years from today are going to be based on the books you read, the people you associate yourself with, and the big events you go to. You know, so that that has really been, matter of fact, probably 60 to 90% of what I'm saying to you, I probably got it from somewhere else. I don't think I have, I've had an original thought in some time. Um, the books I read is the, is the, is what I'm pouring in. Um, and of course our faith, our faith in God. And actually that's probably the the pinnacle of it all. And then all of the rest of it falls underneath that. But 
No, because absolutely. those are the tools that he gives us. Yeah, those are the tools. Yes, we agree. That's those are the tools that God has given us. Those books, those mentors. You know, a Carlton McLeod to be a mentor in my life and to help me understand what marriage is. That marriage isn't a contract; it's a covenant, right? Which means it's lifelong. It's 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 actually it's past me. It's you know it's so those types of things is what. But we did not think like that. No, absolutely not. I think we could. We couldn't even play like that. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to play um, from that symposium. I wanted to share a little soundbite. Um, I want to play this one and then just have you maybe just elaborate a little bit on it. But here it is. Okay. The evolving has to do with a lot of communication. A lot. Mm-hmm. And we're constantly evolving um, to the point that we're learning different techniques and skills even now that even we're now. even that even now that we're on going on our 19 year anniversary and the techniques and the skills that we're learning through being intentional about our marriage and and not just having a marriage that is just dull and just existing no we want something that is thriving all right we're back live now so i th- that was one of the things that really stood out to me like being intentional about your marriage and wanting a marriage mm-hmm. that's thriving and then you talked about some of the communication techniques. And I think in the context of that soundbite, you were talking about um, some of the marriage counseling that you guys have taken. And I, and I want to play one of those soundbites later, too, of it just being like like a checkup. You know, we take our car in to get it checked up and, and doing that. So as part of, part of your, like, growth and as a couple. But I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on that because I think a lot of people, I would, I would dare say, would agree that they want to have a successful marriage, a marriage that's thriving. They want to have freedom from fear of financial want. But yet the reality of their life is they might feel like their marriage is on the rocks or it's not, or they're scared that they're, it's not going to pull through or their finances are bearing down. Maybe they've had a vehicle repossessed, repossessed and, and they can relate with that. What are some of the things that you guys have learned that have been some good techniques for communication that maybe helped you guys through some of this? Man, that's, that's so, so important to learn to communicate properly. Um, a lot of times we're listening to respond versus listening to understand to our spouses. So when there's an issue, because you already have offense, you already have this resentment or bitterness from early on, oh, they spend up all the credit card, they did all of this, but you never resolved it, you never shared how frustrated you were or how hurt you were that they did that. So now it's like you're a ticking bomb. So that that has been me. I'm not more, I've never yelled at him. I've never cursed at him in our 19 years. Never done that. And I'm Hispanic. Never. That's shocking. <laughs> never, never raised their voice. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm fighting him. I'm saying all this stuff to him, right? Yeah. So I'm a time bomb. So with, with now... Fast forward 19 years later, now we're going through this therapy and this therapist is um, showing us these techniques. It is more so about pausing and letting that individual share their issue, whatever that issue may be, you know, Um, and just listen, listen to what they're saying. And in sharing your issues, you have to be very um, vulnerable to say, hey, right now this is this is what i've seen in the past or this is what i've heard right 
Now you're, yeah. you're sharing something. And then my belief is that whatever it is that you want to say, and then you always want to share the emotion that you're feeling at that moment. Cause you saying, I feel, I feel like you're not listening to me. I feel like, you know, you go up and you do whatever, but you're not sharing the emotion. You think you're sharing the emotion, but that's not it. Yeah, you're sharing a thought. You're sharing a thought. The yeah. emotion is I get very frustrated when you don't share things with me. You know, I'm very hurt at the fact that you don't speak to me anymore. You yeah. know, those are emotions that then it's so amazing how when we started switching that, it's like, oh, my gosh, I did not know that you felt that way. Please forgive me. Let me do better. So now that you're hearing your spouse having these issues and you're not supposed to say anything, you're just listening. Right. You're just listening, listening to understand and it's amazing to be able to get it all out and then not have somebody come and rebuttal you or, or you know, say, no, you're wrong or you're this, you know, like in every marriage. Um, really but when you become vulnerable and just both let your guards down and just listen to one another, my goodness, it's, it's, it's night and day, night and day. Now, we haven't perfected it, <laughs> you know, uh, we have our, our, our moments still, but we're nowhere near where we used to be because now we're cognizant of it. We're, you know, um, we understand each other. So there are times that now instead of saying we, uh, oh, and one skill too is never, ever say the word why. Erase that from your vocabulary. Why didn't you do this? And why didn't you take the trash out? And why didn't you this? Because immediately when you use the word why, a defense mechanism comes up and now you want to just defend yourself. Well, because I didn't want to, I was going to do it. Right. Instead of we learn, Hey, I would love it if you would take the trash out right now, sweetheart. Totally different. <laughs> totally different. Right. So these are techniques that, man, if we just incorporate that in our, in our daily lives, not just in marriage, but just relationships, um, man, I'm curious to hear, um, John, your experience with this, but Yabby, I want to ask you before we go to John, like what, what was difficult for you as a woman to, to do some of those techniques? Was there anything that was a particular challenge? I think for me at the beginning, the challenge was expressing myself uh, a lot of times. And this has, has been an insecurity of mine for, I don't know, however long I remember but I've gotten a lot better being that English is my second language. And I, at times I believe that I am not, I'm not able to in words, put it in words as far as what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling that I'm not, I'm not putting it all out there that I'm leaving something out and I don't want to be misunderstood. And one of my things is that, you know, I, I, you know, my heart is, you know, good. I want, I want people to see that. Right. But sometimes communicating that to me, you know, people say, I don't have any, I'm like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. To me, that's, that's sort of like my, my little kryptonite that am I communicating the proper words? Am I saying the right things? Is this really how I feel? So that has been, and it still is, but it's not as much as it used to be because I continue just saying whatever, you know, it's just, all right, if you get me, you get me. If you don't tell me that you, you know, Please reword that again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but for me, it's more so that um, being able to express my feelings correctly. Cool. 
How about you, John? What, with, as far as the communication, what have been some of the mind shifts or things you've learned about communication or maybe even some of the challenges at first to put some of these techniques into play? You know, it's funny how we made it 19 years. Well, 18 years would be 19 in September. Married 20 years together this past April uh, without these communication skills. Yeah. So when it first started, it made me wonder, man, we made it this far without these skills. We got another hundred to go, man. This is gonna yeah. be awesome. Yeah. And and I really I want to share this with your audience. I think the reason we made it is because we just decided a long time ago that we were going to. We didn't just decide, we pre-sided. So even when a tough time came, we just knew all the, automatically we're getting through it because there is no other option. Yeah. So we kind of pre-sided. And, and believe it or not, you can pre-side. Um, I'm not saying it always works. What I am saying is if you go ahead and make the decision up front, when that situation comes, it will come back to you that you made that decision. And now all I got to do now is manage the decision. But when it came to communicating, I can communicate, but the question is, was I effective? You know, everybody can communicate, but very few connect. Right. And what it did was it, it made us connect. Mm -hmm. And how it made us connect is we had to listen. Mm -hmm. We had to, actually we have little, this, uh, this program that we, we started going through, it's actually uh, called Collaborative Marriage Skills. Collaborative mar Marriage Skills. So it actually comes with a little kit and it comes with a mat and you kind of stand on the mat. So the person who has the issue is standing on the mat and they're kind of going through these little pods, if you will, on the mat to in reference to their feelings and their thoughts and stuff like that. And the other person is standing on a different mat where they're tracking or and then they get to recap and, and summarize and make sure you heard, you know, because sometimes, like my wife says, she'll communicate. But that's not really what she was communicating. So I get to say, okay, so what I'm hearing you say is blah, 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 blah. And she gets to recap. Mm -hmm. She gets to go, oh, no, that's not mm -hmm. right. And she, so she gets to clean it up. But I have to let her finish. Yeah. Right? Same thing with me. She has to. And a lot of times when it's a husband and wife, people are trying to talk over each other. We're missing stuff. And, um, and you know what? We're talking about this in the sense of marriage. But this actually helps in anything. I'm in business. I got to deal with clients. I got to deal with business partners and uh, agents that that I'm that I'm training and stuff. So th this has helped in so many ways. This helps in raising your children. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness! I mean, most of the time as parents, we're trying to tell our children what to do when we really should be selling them. We should be closing them on it and closing them. I'm getting them to believe it was their idea. Right. Jesse believes some of this stuff she thinks is her idea. <laughs> right? So that's what it's done for us. Um, you know, sometimes I could be hot tempered. You know, she told you she's never raised her voice to me in 20 years. Right. And what it did, it made me calm down. And, and the reason I did is because I just love the heck out of this girl. I, I love this. This is my queen and I want her happy. I want her excited. Um, I want her fired up and I want I want to be fired up, too. So. We're intentional and we've always been intentional. This is just the first time we went outside of our church to get some some counseling or help or therapy, if you will. Um, but but I've dated her from day one. I, yeah. I, I, matter of fact, people in our office think we're sick because I'll <laughs> I'll walk into her I'll walk into her meeting with a client and I'll come around her behind her desk and give her a kiss and walk back out. Or, you know, we flirt with each other throughout the office. It's just mm -hmm. 
It's a conscious thing though. I, yeah. I consciously do it, even though even though I could be ticked off at her, I'm I'm still I'm still dating her, you know. And she does the same with me. For years, you know, I used to keep a, a stack of cards in my office, and I'd just write her a little note, and I literally walk by her office, take it up to the assistant, mail it to our house. I passed her. Yeah. Just just so when she goes to the mailbox, she can see this card and this thought. You know, I spent 40 something on the stamp or whatever it was. That's awesome. John, I want to play a soundbite from that same symposium of you. And you were talking about, um, you were talking about like finances and how not having separate accounts and like if we're having separate accounts, then maybe that's a sign that we're not really all in. And you made this comment and I wanted to have you maybe just elaborate a little bit on it. So here it is. Right. I mean, I'm going to ask everybody on here. Has anything ever received all of you? And if not, you probably don't know how much is really in you then. I was curious. That comment kind of stuck out to me. You don't, Maybe you don't know how much is really in you if you haven't given that. And I was kind of wondering where that mindset came from. What, what, where that kind of comes from in you? Okay. Probably a bunch of different things because formerly I was the director of outreach for our church. I love, I love marriage. Um, I was just talking to somebody recently. I remember it. <laughs> and uh, someone was like digging into me and they kind of want me to do another podcast or something. And they, so they asked me, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did you want to be? And it was a bunch of stuff, man. I wanted to be a cop. I wanted to be a U.S. Marshal and fugitive recovery. I wanted to drive Kenworth trucks because we lived by Chicago Kenworth. But the one thing I could narrow down that I knew I wanted to be, no matter what, was a husband and a father. And I saw that my dad was all in. In a culture, in a world where it was okay for him not to be, he was all in. Nine children by the same woman, right? So it's, I think it started there. And then in sports, you got to be all in. Then in the military, you know, we, we're so all in, we believe in something called collateral damage. A few of us got to die for a bunch of people live. And we're okay with that. All in. But then also in being in business, you cannot be an entrepreneur and have an employee's mindset. It's not going to work. You will fail. Most people in our world, they're trying to rob, they're trying to, they're trying to steal second with their, first, with their foot on first. They never commit. They never go all in. The divorce rate in this country is almost 70%. That's a bunch of people who are ADD. They're not all in. And I just believe it. If, if you're going to do it, you know, I was, in, I was in my first marriage too long because I'm all in. I, I should have left long before I did. It's because I had an all in mindset. But the cool thing about having an all, all in mindset that if it doesn't work out, if something, it doesn't work, right? You know, you gave it your all. And then you can walk away with it, not feeling bad about it at all. When I left the Navy, I left at the top of my game. And uh, so I didn't have to look back and wonder what it should have, could have. I didn't, I didn't, I never did that. I just, I believe in being all in. If you, if you're all in, and, and it's a level of uh, pride that goes into being all in, man. It's just, I don't know. It's just burn the boat, burn the boat. And if we leave it, we leave it on their boat. <laughs> 
I'd like to ask you guys too, because I love the mindset that you guys have, and I, and again, I think people could look at you and your wife, look at you guys as a couple, look at your business, and go, oh man, those guys are lucky. You know, they're so lucky. <laughs> they got, they got everything. You know, they they have a solid marriage, and they're happy, and they, you know, they got a business, and everything's just great. That they just lucky them, but. I wanted to see maybe if you wouldn't mind taking us back to that time when, when you felt like you guys, you talked about rock bottom, you know, losing the house and losing the car. Like, like how do you, when you look back now, how did you begin to unwind all that? Cause there's gotta be a lot of emotions around that. Um, you know, disappointment, um, you know, as a, as a man, I'm sure, you know, you want to make sure that you're providing and, and feel like you're successful. And, and I don't know how it was when you guys were in that moment, but maybe there was some frustration or disappointment. Like how, when you guys look back now, how did you unwind all that to get where you were? Like, what were some of the first steps? Cause I imagine emotionally that had to be very challenging to, to, you know, put a smile on your face and get back up and, and keep plugging away. What Absolutely. sustained you? For me, yeah, there was there was disappointment, there was frustration, there was all of that. Uh, I mean, our marriage took a toll in all of that. Um, there was even a dark moment in our marriage um, because of all of that stuff that had happened and that I never dealt with then, that I held on to because again, the lack of communication. Because I just you know say, hey, I'm you know we're gonna be good, but I never expressed my frustration and, and it's like, when is this going to end type of thing or any of that stuff? Um, but also it's just praying and just seeking God and just like, okay, God is like, when is this going to end? You know, type of thing. But I couldn't blame it just on him. It was my fault as well too. We both played a part in this, you know, we both mismanaged money. We both did, you know, the things that we shouldn't have done instead of saving, we were spending so for me, really my shift in my mindset was um, October of 2011. And it was a car accident that we had, a head-on collision. But it was nothing but the grace of God that, you know, nothing happened seriously or anything like that. And it was in that hospital when um, our bishop came to visit us. And I could just see it in his eyes, you know, um, a level of disappointment in me, per se, um, because of all the other stuff that had happened in the past. And that's when I felt like I met God face to face. Because it was one thing that he told me. He was like, man, I want you to look outside that window and I want you to picture me saying to you, if you don't stop now, you will lose your life. And that's when, for me, that was my aha moment. That's when, that's when it was just like, this is it. You know, this is it. I, I have to give it my all to my marriage. I have to give it my all. You know, it's like the mindset that John is talking about, all in. I have to be all in, um, not just for us, but for our daughters that we had when they were little. And then experiencing right after that, a few months later, um, the death of our five-year-old and that's what solidified everything. Um, I always say that the woman that walked in that hospital was not the woman that came out. 
I was completely transformed uh, from the inside out. And that's when it was just like, that's it. There is definitely no going back. And for us, it made us stronger, you know, where for some couples, it would, you know, kind of destroy a marriage, a loss of a child. Um, for us, I mean, it took work, a lot of work, but it made us stronger, definitely made us stronger. So we have had our shares of ups and downs. Like, man, we could sit here and be here like for, you know, all day. <laughs> um, but it's nothing but the grace of God, really. Um, and our commitment to one another and our resilience and the intentionality that we're all in. You know, I like that word intentional. And, and John, you kind of hit on this too, that it's, I mean, I guess I want our listeners to understand, like hearing your story, that we all face challenges. We all have challenges, walls that we hit up against and we're pushing through. And that's one thing we have all in common. And, and the way we get over those walls, those walls aren't there to define us. They're not there to tell us who we are as a person. They're there to help us grow, right? And John, you talked yeah. about growing and overcoming that yeah. John, I'm curious, like in your mind at that time, what, what were you experiencing in your mind as you, you know, were you feeling frustrated, disappointed, angry, like, and I mean, I can't even imagine you said your daughter was five years old when she passed. Yeah, I can't even yeah. imagine that as a, as a parent, we have five kids and I can't even imagine mm -hmm. experiencing that. Um, I mean, what was kind of a turning point for you, John? What, what was some moments that, I mean, how did you, I guess, how did you untangle that? I guess is really what I want to know. Cause I mean, I think a lot of people may be listening to this and have experienced something similar and they might feel like, you know what? I just can't go another step. I'm ready mm. to throw in the towel. Like, yeah, I hear what you're saying about all in, but I am like tired. I'm burnt. I feel broken. Mm. I just want to throw it in. Like what gave you the, the strength to, to persevere? Because I think your guys' story is inspiring that, you know, hey, if, if they've gone through that and been able to overcome it, then I can do that too. But I'm curious if you have any insights that you can offer. Like, how, how did you get through that? Well, um, man, there's so much I can unpack there. Um, starting with the failures and the, all the stuff that went on with our finances and money and things like that, I think it would start with, um, I, you asked my feelings. My, I felt, I felt sometimes like a failure. I mean, I had to, in my business, I'm basically selling the dream, but I was living a nightmare. Yeah. And I find my way out of it in the process, but also still be excited for her and not let her see me bleeding that way. Um, because sometimes who, who you allow to see you bleed can discourage them instead of encourage. Right. Right. Um, and so many people, um, you know, where we are in our life now, uh, and even then, people look up to us. They, they, they saw us a certain way. And, uh, and you know, sometimes when, you, when you're a leader, when you're a leader and you fall, it affects more than just you. Yeah. Right? So that always stayed on my head that if I fall, like, for example, if I fail in my marriage, if I fail as a husband, if I, you know, and I'm talking about just missteps. Yeah, yeah, if you understand what I mean, yeah. um, how many people would that affect? How many people, even doing this podcast, this podcast, depending on how many people end up listening to it, um, I, I'm going to affect a whole bunch of people if I fall after this. 
Yeah. Right. So it's almost like I'm saying this stuff. Now I got to live. It. Yeah. Right. So it's a, it's a big deal. Losing our daughter. Losing our daughter was a was a, 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 a tough one. Um, for one, she was daddy's girl. Um, mm. So Tootie was um, she was. She was a unique kid. Now, she looked just like her mom. Thank God. Right. Because We don't <laughs> want her to have a hard life. Um, so thank God my daughters to look like their mom. <laughs> so they're, they're going to be perfectly fine in life. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, but that the one we have now, the 15 year old, she, she has, she has both of our drives. So I know she's going to do some great things. Losing our daughter was a tough thing. And I was really just trying to hold our family together. I was really just trying to, I believe, I believe God has a purpose in everything. I don't think he makes any mistakes. I don't think it was a mistake that he birthed my wife in the middle of a family in Panama City, Panama, the way it happened. I don't I don't believe that. I don't believe that she grew up in that. I don't think any of that was just happenstance. I think he knew in her spirit before he designed her that she was strong enough to handle that. He knew I wasn't. So he designed me and I was birthed to a little 19 year old girl on the south side of Chicago. And he said, that's about as much as that kid could take. And we're not going to make him go through any more than that. And so I was just trying to keep our family together, man. Our daughter spent 50 days and she got sick. She spent 50 days at a children's hospital here where we live, uh, fighting for her life, you know, multiple times crashing, very rare blood disorder, um, less than a less than a 2% chance of survival. Um, had to go through chemo, lost all of her hair, which was like one of her trademarks. And um, and through that process, I just had to keep my family together. I had to keep them sane. I had to keep reminding them that God is sovereign. He, he doesn't make any mistakes, and we're just going to trust him. So we that was another thing. We just presided, decided up front that we were gonna, God was going to get glory out of this some way, shape, or how. If he took her, he was going to get glory. If he allowed her to live, he was going to get glory. And, yeah. and none of it was going to be on us. And uh, and that's just kind of, I, I guess, how I, I live. And I'll tell you that, that, you know, people are listening and you're right. A lot of people look at us today and be like, oh man, they, they just been so lucky. They've done. I, I've, I've struggled with depression. I mean, I'm I, actually what triggered our therapy. I don't know if I'm sharing too much, but <laughs> what triggered our therapy for our marriage this time probably was me. Probably was my I, I didn't realize it, you know, as men, you know, especially ex-military guys, we're, we're weird. I didn't know it was depression. I just knew I didn't have energy. I just knew I wasn't interested. I just knew I, you know, all of my affirmations and my goals and stuff just were not doing it anymore. It's just, you know, I didn't know if I was checking. I didn't know. I, actually, I thought it was cancer for a little bit. I had my doctors like, they tested me for every cancer. I was just so pissed off. I was like, no, you guys have to test me for everything. Like, all the nasty stuff you got to do to me, you got to figure this freaking out because this is not me. Yeah. And uh, and then we just came down to it. It was it was depression. So, you know, even when you see a guy who's doing it and making it happen and that type of stuff, not that I am, that guy might have some dark moments too. Right. You know. And um, one of the blessings in my life is my best friend, mentors who and men. I I'm, I gotta say this to your audience: if you're a man listening to me. And I believe this is true for women too, but if you're a man, I just know how we are guys. 
you have to find another man on this planet who you can tell anything to and they won't look at you any different. That's right. Yeah. You you have to find one. Seek them out. Now you got to go seek them out, but and create the relationship, but they got to be a guy who at least one just walking the planet that you can tell anything to, the deepest darkest craziest stuff in your brain and they won't look at you any differently. They'll probably hold you accountable and walk you walk with you through that challenge and um and life is just totally different when you got somebody like that. Yeah. Man, I really appreciate this uh, discussion. I appreciate you guys sharing. I know it's probably not easy, but I love the fact that it's, I think it's going to be really relatable, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to what you're saying, and I think be very encouraged that, to know that if they stick in and persevere, and it sounds like your faith has been really something that's really grounded you guys and given you guys something, to, a, a really rock-solid foundation. When oh, you yeah. talk about books and association and, and events, but it sounds like you guys keep coming back to your faith, and it sounds like that's really been something that's really grounded you. And I think there's a takeaway there for people listening that um, that's just a key component you know, to all of our success. And I think the other takeaway for me is that you know, I love the the quote from Charles Dickens in the Christmas Carol where he says, "We're all just fellow passengers on our way to the grave. We're yes. all we're all human beings on the same journey. We're having this human experience and we all face struggles and we might look at other people and think that they've got it all together and everything's easy, but we don't know the struggles they've gone through and the victories they've had." And I appreciate you guys sharing your victory and I I want to shift gears a little bit because I think what you guys do for a living and your business is something that could really also help people. And we've been talking about, you know, finances and just mindset, but, and, and relationships. But I think a lot of these things are key to everything we do in our life, you know, having that balance. But John, you said something in that symposium that I just thought, wow, that is awesome. And I bet a lot of people might not, might've not thought that at the outset, I want to play the soundbite about being in business with your spouse and I thought, I thought this was awesome. Here it is. You guys can look at my wife's face as I say this. I believe that working together as a husband and wife is one of the best yeah. or significant of is one of the best things you could ever have in your marriage ever. <laughs> I love that. And I think a lot of people might feel like that maybe their communication is not great. And they think I wouldn't want to be working in an office together all day. Or maybe they're just like, man, I don't know how I would get us on the same page to, to make that business work. Could you elaborate a little bit about that and, and talk a little bit about how being in business together, what, how that's been a blessing for you guys? Yes. Um, I love talking about this. Uh, my wife, we, we, I got recruited into the industry back in 2001. Uh, actually, a young kid that worked with me in the Navy introduced me to the company I'm with, uh, World Financial Group, WFG. And... Um, and I started first and we were just dating and then I brought her on board and then she worked, she stayed in working in banking. I left the Navy and, and ran our business. And then when our daughter passed away is when she came full time. So she worked with me part time and then she went full time after our daughter passed away. And I would say the, the thing, one of the things I had to learn in, in being in business, but also just being in marriage is my wife has strengths. I don't have. So she's yeah. my ex factor. Right. Matter of fact, uh, that's what women are really to husbands. Um, I just noticed women, whatever we give them. Right. I, I know you're married. Yeah. Whatever you give your wife, she multiplies. It. Yeah. You ever notice that? Yeah. Right. You you give her you give her a house. She makes a home. 
Yeah. Right? You give her some groceries, she make a, a meal. You give her some crap, <laughs> well, you know how that's going to go, right? So, <laughs> so they multiply. So what I learned in us working together was she had strengths I didn't have. Yeah. And I had to embrace those. Right? I, I couldn't make her be like me. Matter of fact, that's how you figure out if you're with the right spouse. Do they have strengths different from yours? Yeah. Right? Because if they're the same, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know what I don't know what you guys are doing. Right? Yeah. My my wife's totally different from me. She doesn't pay attention to certain things the way I do, and vice versa. Um, it's just we came together. Now, the good thing about us being in marriage and in business together is now the common denominator in our marriage isn't the children. Mm-hmm. See, because our children are leading, voluntarily or involuntarily, they're leading. Yeah. <laughs> right? And sometimes the only common denominator is those children. So when the children leave, the husband and wife don't even know who, who, who they don't even know each other. They haven't seen each other in, 30, in 20 years. They don't, yeah. and, and plus in that 20 years, they've evolved. Yeah. He's a good thing too. That's a good thing, right? If if I'm the same guy today that I was 19 years ago, that's a horrible thing. Yeah. Right? We both evolved. And now the common denominator isn't our children. So when they leave, we still got stuff to do. We yeah. still got goals to go after. We still are fired up about things and right. And then we're now we get to date again. Like really date, you know? So that's Man, being in business with your spouse, of course, I, I'm not saying it's easy. Absolutely not. But it's worth it. Right. Yeah. And anything worth it is not going to be easy. It's just yeah. not. It's not supposed to be. Um, yeah. I think my wife wants to share something one, with that. One of the things that you have said, like some people are saying, oh, you know, I can't really work with my spouse. or I don't even know where to begin or I don't even know if we will even be able to work together. But that is the exact same reason why you should, because that is not the business that's going to separate you. If I mean, it'll, it can separate you if you allow it to, but it's going to show all those areas inside of you where you're selfish, where you just prideful, where your ego is too much. Yeah. But when you allow that to just kind of go and you mesh together and you work together, and it is a process, it's not going to be an easy thing, because trust me, we, we were in the same office and he was way on the other side and I was on the other side. Yeah. Like, don't office, talk to me. Our offices are right next to each other. <laughs> They're a few doors down from each other. You got a buffer. But I think that that also made our marriage even stronger because I got to understand and know some things about him that I didn't know before. Yeah. And vice versa. You know, yeah. whereas when you have a couple that they go to their respective jobs Right. And that's all they do when they come home. What do they really have in common? What do they really have to talk about other than the kids? Right. Um, so it's just it's 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 not easy, but it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. And if you want to work on your marriage and you want to be intentional about it, that should be a challenge. Start a business together. Yeah. I like what you said, too, that it's not, you know, I think sometimes we look at the external world, and I guess, John, it kind of goes back to, like, having the attitude of things happen to me or they happen for me, but it's not our it's not our finances that are going to break us or it's not our business, working together in a business is going to break us. It's it's who we are on the inside. It's we got to change the blueprint. we got to change the programming yes. to get there. I'm just curious. I know we're coming up on our time here, but um, 
what would be what's one or two books maybe that have really had an impact on on you that maybe you could recommend that that people could read um john i know you mentioned in the symposium and i hadn't read the book i've now read it the book um secrets of a millionaire mind by t harv ecker and uh, that was a phenomenal read. I highly recommend it and something that I'm going to continue to reread because uh, it's got some great information in there. But I wondered if there was any any books or or uh, that you would recommend or any maybe other people that you look to as an example that people could study about or research about. Definitely the book um, because – Secrets of a Millionaire Mind, for me, that's like my favorite secular book that I've read. But then the book that I believe every human being should be reading or should have read two, three, four, five times, or even even probably twice a year, (laughs) depending on the severity of what they're going through, (laughs) I would say The Fate of Satan by John Bevere. What's it called? The Bait of Satan. The Bait of Satan. By John Bevere. Okay. He unpacks offense like no other, you know, huh. because it gives you a mirror moment with you. What's inside of you? Why you're holding that offense? Why are you so prideful? Why won't you go and forgive? Things that, especially in the times that we're living right now, if everybody got a hold of that book and just read it, the whole world would change. Yeah. Our whole you know we will love more we will you know just forgive more and just give people the benefit of doubt you know um and that that right there by far is one of the greatest books any others um i mean he said okay sorry so she said bait of satan um of course of course i would tell you uh secrets of i have a few man secrets of a millionaire mind uh, think and grow rich. Um, God, I have so many. Uh, 100, 177 mental toughness secrets of the world class. Um, that's by Steve Siebel. Um, there's a there's a guy I follow on Instagram. Um, he's actually the agency chairman of our company. His name's Ed Milet. Ed. M-Y-L-E-T-T. Um, actually, there's a bunch of guys I follow like that. I like Gary V. Um, but when it comes to the books, uh, The Magic of Thinking Big. I mean, awesome. extraordinary book there. Um, there's so many books I've read. Anything by John Maxwell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything by Samuel Chan. Anything by my wife already mentioned one of his books, Bait of Satan, but anything by John Bevere and his wife, Lisa Bevere, B-E-V-E-R-E. They're based out of uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Their their ministry is a messenger international. Um, but, you know, his he has so many books. I mean, I if I start naming them. See, because for me, that one, like I didn't mention a marriage book per se. I mean, I've read marriage books. Mm-hmm. But in reality, when it comes to marriage, we also tend to look so much like the other person changing or the other person needs to, you know, do this and do this whole ordeal thing. But no, the person that needs to change is you. Mm -hmm. So for me, the bait of Satan is like, even in marriages can heal your marriage because then you're 
overcoming those offenses and those bitterness and those resentment and all of that stuff. And now it can make an even greater marriage. Yeah. It, yeah. It's really about you focusing on, I know this doesn't sound so weird, but you focus on you getting better. Samuel Chan used to say that all the time. He used to say that the world will get right when you get right. You want the world to get right, you get right. Yeah. Right. I love Can you that. imagine each one of us just got right. And then for our marriage, we we had to give up the right to be right. Yeah. yeah. I forget the name of the the poet or a Russian poet or philosopher. He said that the, everybody looks to change the world, but nobody looks to change themselves. Yes. And I think oh that's my God. and I think that's like what you guys are like really really bringing to light. That in fact, one of the things that you said that I thought was interesting and. Um, and I promise I'm going to wrap this up. I'm not going to keep you all night. But okay. it was interesting that you said when when you guys were hitting those hard times that you cut out all the TV, you cut out going out of the fast food. Like that, that, that was interesting to me because I think a lot of people probably look for things to cover the pain. You know, mm -hmm. veg out and binge watch on a TV show or like let's just go out to eat and just not worry about. I'm just curious why you guys took that path was there was it something how you guys were raised or you just thought that was like the way out because i think you know some people may not that might not be the the count that might not be the intuitive thing to do they might think hey i just want to numb the pain yeah sometimes sometimes doctors are the sickest people and sometimes that's true in the financial world too so we were financial professionals we knew what to do we we teach it we taught it to our clients but but we had to pull the trigger to do it and you know, sometimes when you make a lot of money, you just think you don't, you're exempt from doing certain things. And that's not true, right? Because, you know, especially when you're an entrepreneur, when you're an entrepreneur, you can make 30000 this month, but you might make three nets. So if you're not managing it, it's, oh my gosh, it's actually worse than having a job that makes thirty grand a year, yeah. right? So, I'm, and I'm no, no offense to anyone who makes thirty grand a year, but it's, that's just how it is. So we just had to get radical. And we decided just to be radical. That's all. And then also us, I know people are hurting. I know people are going through some pains and things like that. I'm hoping to get some encouragement from this, right? Don't do what everyone else does. There's a guy named Dave Ramsey, and he says all the time that if you live like no one else, one day you get to live like no one else. And we just decided not to stick our head in the sand. See, we could do that. Absolutely, we could do that. We could... We could just be like, no, let's just go ahead and Netflix it. And, you know, back then it was Blockbuster in it. And, <laughs> and oh, yeah, let's keep ordering Chinese food. And, you know, when we had plenty of food in the refrigerator at the time, but we still go out to Chinese food and go get some Vietnamese food. And, no, we just decided, you know, and then when we looked at our actual statements, most of it was eating. Most of it. Sometimes it was seven, eight hundred dollars, twelve hundred dollars a month eating out. What is wrong with us? So we just got radical, man. And you know, hey, think about it. When you don't have any TV, what do you got to do? You got to read. You read books. So, so the, all these books we're talk, talking about, we haven't read those books one or two times. We've read those books numerous times, and we still read almost a book a month. It's just, you know, I have we have so many in our head. It's hard for us to name one. It's like. Oh my God, I can name the shack. I can name. <laughs> we don't know what your audience needs, man. 
they give us a topic, we can give it to them. <laughs> well, I wanna I wanna play this last sound bite, and I wanna get your reaction to, or, or I guess not really your reaction, but your have you expand on it a little bit. And I wanna talk a little bit just for our listeners. I want you to explain a little bit what you do as a financial planner. Um, I had mentioned this to you once on the phone. I remember early on in our marriage, driving into work, and I'm commuting, and I hear these radio ads. If, if you've got $150,000, give us a call, and we'll show you where to invest. <laughs> I thought, well, I guess I don't need a financial planner because I don't have $150,000 sitting around. <laughs> so I'm like, I mean, that just wasn't for me, right? I couldn't play in that game. And I think some people might not understand how important a financial planner can be or what they can provide for where they're at in their in their life. But you said this um, in that symposium, and I just wanted you to maybe explain it a little bit more and then maybe talk a little bit about financial planning and what you do to help teach people. You know, one of the most dangerous places to be is the middle class, the middle class conscious, because we know there's more, but we don't think we'll ever get it. I thought that was interesting. You know, that, that middle-class mindset that we know there's more, but we don't think we're ever going to get it. This is just what it is. Yeah. Well, actually, I got that from a book. I got that from 177 Mental Toughness Seekers of the World Class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it's in the front of the book. So if you guys get the book, Steve's going to owe me some money. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys get the book, it's actually, um, actually, it's right after secret number one, actually. Um, it's, it's called levels of consciousness. And you and I talked about this a little bit in reference to thermostat, right? Our internal right. thermostats and things like that. Um, first of all, when it comes to money, first of all, I think, well, we have to get the right perspective on it. And my perspective, and this is just my perspective, is none of it's mine. Mm -hmm. I'm merely a steward of it for the time that I'm here on the planet. But it's not mine, really, right? So that also makes you deal with it differently. You operate with it differently. Um, so in my faith, I believe God owns it all, mm -hmm. right? So I'm just a steward of his money, right? And a lot of times when I speak publicly, I ask a crowd, let's say I'm speaking at a church or something, I'll, I'll tell them, hey, I'm a money manager. That's what I do for a living. I manage, you know, a little bit of money for some people. And um, I have a question for you. If I manage your money, the way you've been managing God's money, would I get to keep my job? Yeah. <laughs> and normally the crowd gets quite quiet. Yeah. And um, and it's really to kind of set the stage for them to understand that we're really all stewards. My daughter, I was merely a steward of her. She wasn't really mine. She's God's. I stewarded her for five years. I'm stewarding this other one for 15 so far. You know, that's really all I'm doing here. So when it comes to money, um, and I said something about the middle class, and the reason I think like that is because we always think that being wealthy or being rich is this far away thing when it's really down the street. Um, I, I can't tell you, I have, I have some, I have some clients that when they first met me, they made three, 400,000 a year and live paycheck to paycheck. I also have a couple of couples who this couple is never the one that's in my mind. They've never made a hundred grand in their lifetime in a year, ever, ever. And they're multi-millionaires. I mean, multi, and I can't take credit. They had $2.2 million a day they met me sitting in cash. Just, ne they've never had a mortgage. Every home they probably paid for, paid cash for them, right? And, I, and so, and the one they're living in now is probably a $600,000 home. So, 
it's, it's just a different way of thinking when it comes to money. I believe the only difference between rich people and poor people is the way they think. The rich and the poor. Everybody says the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That's not, that statement's not true. The rich get richer and the poor get better too. So <laughs> that's not really true, but the only difference between them is the way they think. If you change your thinking, it will change your habits and your habits will automatically change your results. You can't even stop it. But it starts with you changing your thinking. That's your internal thermostat. So for for us, um, one of the things we pride ourselves on is not being one of those firms. WFG just isn't. Anyway, Transamerica Financial Advisors isn't. But we, we pride ourselves on being one of those firms that anybody can come see us. You don't have to have 150000 Matter of fact, my average client's putting away 300 a month, right? Now, that doesn't mean I turn away the guy with $2.1 million. I, yeah. I don't turn him away either, right? I help him the same. You know, I, <laughs> right. just, it's just different strategies. And what I love about how I get to do it is I, I don't have to push anything on anybody. I don't have to try to push them to do this or do that. I get to be like a financial doctor. My wife and I sit down with people. We figure out where they are. We take a schematic to kind of an x-ray, if you will, I'm a financial doctor. And then I prescribe some antibiotics. I give them some strategies based off of where they want to go. Everybody doesn't want to go where I want to go. Everybody don't want to go and do this stuff that my wife and I are thinking of doing. You know, I, I want a motor coach. I want a, you know, a Liberty coach, right? This is like a $2.2 million bus. It's like a tiny home on wheels, but it's $2.2 million and it's 45 feet long. But that's what I want. I want to drive around on it for three months of a year. Um, that, that's one of my goals, right? So give me a couple more years. We're going to be doing that. The baby, the baby girl will be gone. Uh, she'll probably be at Vanderbilt or something. And we're going to go do that for a couple months of every year, but everybody don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. So you got to have, you got to have a strategy and plan fit for you. So a young couple, maybe just get married, just kind of living paycheck to paycheck. Um, would you recommend they seek out a financial advisor? Is a financial advisor going to be able to help them? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, what, what, why wait till you have money before you have a plan? You know, when you build something, you know, you start with the plans. You do not start with the foundation. You start with the plan. Right. Yeah. And you got to have a, and, uh, and once you have a good plan, now you change, your plan's going to change. You're going to hit goals. You're going to buy that house. You're going to do this. You're going to, get out of debt. You're going to actually pay off your student loans. I know you thought they were like Samsonite, but you're going to actually pay off your student loan, right? Well, okay. Then you adjust the plan, but you should have a plan. So a young couple, you know, some of the key things I would tell them to do is just start saving small. Um, if, if it's, if it's 25 bucks a paycheck. Okay. Right. But I think it's not about the amount. I think it's about the habit. I think it's about the mindset because then when they get a little raise, they get the, the tax return, guess what? They got the habit of saving now. And oh my God, it feels so good. You you know, you walk differently when you got money in savings. You talk different. You, you move different. You don't think the same way as everybody else when you got some money in savings. Um, and then, of course, starting to invest. If your company offers a 401k or something like that, those things aren't the best in the world, but they're something. And I believe something's better than nothing. Your company's matching you. Man, take advantage of some of that stuff, you know? And um. You know, this is just this is just general advice, I guess I, I would say. Make sure you have the right amounts and the right types of life insurance. Actually, all insurance, but specifically life insurance. Because I want you to think about this. 70%, is that the number? 70% of, of American, the American hardworking Americans live paycheck to paycheck 
can you imagine if one of the paychecks isn't coming in no more? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So my simple rule for the amount of that you need is many different types. So I, I and every type's different for everybody, right? Sometimes you need a mixture of them, term, permanent, right? But my simple rule, because I don't have time to go through this with all your listeners, 10 to 15 times your income. If you got 10 to 15 times your income, you make 50000 a year, you got $750,000 in life insurance, I got a funny feeling your family's going to be okay. <laughs> They'll figure it out. At least they better, right? They better go see an advisor after that, right? But yeah, and now you can. Now they have plans. They have life insurance plans where you can set it up to pay out over a period of time instead of paying a lump sum. Let's say you got an irresponsible family member you're leaving that money to. Don't don't let them pay all half a million to the family right now. Have them pay you know twenty five thousand right now, and then you know three thousand a month for the next twenty years or something. I don't know. Do stuff like that. And then there's life insurance with living benefits. Also protect yourself from getting sick too. Disability insurance, uh, long term care critical illness type stuff. You know, we have a high percentage of people getting sick. Yeah. So John and Yavi, if someone wants to get a hold of you and they want to, or they want to, I like what you said about you got to start with a plan. You know, I think maybe sometimes people are like, well, I don't have any money, so I guess I got to wait till I get some money so they don't, but I like what you said. If you're building a house, you, you have a blueprints first before you dig a hole, before you get your material together. If someone wants to get a hold of you, or what's the best way to, to get more information about your business? Um, where should they go? Or is there a, a website that they could go to that they could contact you from there? Or which one would you yeah. recommend? Um, well, any any of them is is good for us. Believe it or not, we're pretty transparent, and we're we know how to separate our life to a degree. So just like you reached out to me via a text. Um, which was pretty cool. I mean, my, so my cell phone number, 757-575-2779. I'm not afraid we're getting bombarded um, because I know how to maneuver that type of stuff. Plus, I got my, my, my lioness over here. She'll, <laughs> she'll, make, she'll make sure we're, we're on, on the right track there. So that's one way. Also, Facebook, uh, John C. Epstein Jr. Is, is my handle. Um, and on Twitter and Instagram is JC Epting. JC Epting. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you can shoot me a direct message, uh, even if you just have a question. If I if I don't have an answer for you, I, well, I've been at this for a long time. So, I'm, fortunately and unfortunately, I know how to find the answer because <laughs> yeah. I know somebody with that answer, even if it's estate planning. I have great friends that's part of my Bible study group or estate planning attorneys. Um, I guess I've just kind of become the, the go-to guy for the people in my circle because they know, they even come to me to ask me what type of car they should buy. I don't understand that one. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> they know I like quality, so they know I'm probably going to say an Acura. Yeah. <laughs> or a Honda, even though I don't drive those right now. Well, I want to pre I want to thank you guys, and I just want you to know what an honor it's been to be able to speak with you. I really appreciate you guys being so open and transparent about some of your experiences. Um, I know that maybe sometimes that's not easy, but I know that a lot of people are going to be touched by this. A lot of people are going to be inspired. A lot of people who maybe are feeling tired or like maybe they just don't have another, you know, another step in them. This is going to be something that's going to give them some hope, gives them some tools, some books they can read, some things they can do to start growing themselves. <laughs> 
a way to reach out to you guys if they want to get start getting a blueprint together, start to get a plan for their for their finances. And it's obvious that you guys understand the importance of mindset and story and these challenges and, and some of the things it takes to break them down. It's not just spreadsheets and, and dollar symbols, um, but there's a lot of stuff to it. And um, I like. I just want to end with this. I love this quote that you have on your email, and I just think it's indicative of who you guys are as a couple. It's a quote by Henry Van Dyke. It says, there is a loftier ambition than to merely stand high in the world. It is to stoop down and lift mankind a little higher. And I appreciate you guys for taking the time to be a lifting force for others. And uh, again, appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.